Welcome to Unlocking Impact. I'm your host, Sarah Schoenfeld, CEO of the Trade Impact Foundation. In this podcast, we'll examine issues at the intersection of the global economy, sustainability, and human rights. Today, we speak with Andrea Reyes, chair of the New York City Fair Trade Coalition, about whether fast fashion can be sustainable. We discuss the environmental impact of the fashion industry and get into the consequences of globalization and the connection between mental health and consumption. The fashion industry accounts for more than 10% of carbon emissions annually. That's more than the airline and the maritime industries combined. But the trend of fast fashion continues to rise, leading to faster rates of consumption. And with the influence of social media, it doesn't seem like this trend is going away anytime soon. So the question becomes, how will this trend be sustainable? Can it be sustainable? I spoke with Andrea Reyes about this issue. Andrea is a fair trade advocate, educator, and small business owner. She is an experienced community organizer running the New York City Fair Trade Coalition. She's also the founder of A. Bernadette, a sustainable fashion mentorship firm, which aims to educate and incubate businesses to include more sustainable practices. She is an adjunct instructor at LIM College, teaching global sourcing, corporate social responsibility, and sustainability, and is a published author with Bloomsbury Publishing. You can follow the New York City Fair Trade Coalition on Instagram at NYC Fair Trade. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today as the first ever guest on this show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you and to dig deep into these topics. Amazing. So you've been working in the area of sustainability for a long time and generally in the fashion industry as well. So recently, we've really seen this trend of consumers looking for sustainable fashion. And now nearly every brand is using the word sustainable in some form or other. I mean, this morning I open my emails and I look around and and everywhere is this buzzword, sustainable, sustainably, sustainably sourced. So my question to you is, how should we be defining sustainability and how has this concept changed over time within the fashion industry in particular? Great intro to that question. And, you know, it has me thinking about when I first got into this game and I say this game because... There are a lot of key players and there are a lot of terms that are changing and evolving. And so often I think that these kind of evolutions begin on the college level. So I was lucky enough to get into this while I was in college when sustainability wasn't a term that we used, right? We used eco-friendly, earth-friendly, going green. And, you know, it really starts with students asking those questions. And I, I remember sitting in class in the international trade and marketing department at FIT. And I was saying, what about the ethics about the things that we're making? I understand you're teaching me how to move things around the world, uh, how to pack a, a shipping container. But what about the actual humans who are behind those products or the resources that are going into making those products? Uh, so I can't believe it's been over a decade. I, if I probably did the math, it'd probably be closer to 15 years and how much has evolved and changed. And I think we can see that correlation with our understanding of climate change and the increase in environmental uh, degradation and the increase in natural disasters. And I think the tipping point really came just in the past five years where we can't 
deny climate change anymore. We can't deny that these natural disasters are happening more uh, frequently. And now is our battle to connect it to our consumption. And no one wants to disrupt their consumption. Can you talk a bit more about that battle against consumption and what that means? We say in the United States, our national pastime is shopping. And now we're trying to push people to shop in a more conscious way. And I say conscious, quote unquote, because there's always going to be some sort of impact. There's always going to be some sort of waste. And I think over the past year, especially uh, those sustainable warriors like myself, those people who have been in this game for a long time now, are becoming increasingly skeptical that fast fashion can be sustainable. I think we were pushing so hard for them to accept that there is a problem and accept that they needed to be a part of the solution. And now I think we're even questioning if they can be a part of the solution, if they're too big. And I think we see that, especially as consumption continues to increase. I think we thought we would share with customers all these negative impacts um, and they would reduce their consumption. I think we had hope that then the fast fashion companies would then reduce themselves and, and evolve into something different. But I think now we see that they are just going to continue with their goal of unlimited growth. Can you give a few examples to help us understand, you know, what is the impact of fashion in general, especially fast fashion and the trend to kind of have this high output, high volume? Uh, what is the environmental impact on the world right now? Can you give a couple examples? Sure. Yeah, it is wide ranging, um, certainly from the amount of pesticides that are used in those communities where items are, or not items, but fibers or farming is being done, all the way to the end of the supply chain where in urban areas, even in New York City, where there's high levels of consumption. And then what are we doing with that waste? What are we doing with that waste? And, and where's our garbage exported to? Because we know where there are landfills, there's increase in health issues. So that is very wide ranging, right? I went from the beginning of the supply chain all the way to the end of the supply chain. And in between, we can look at deforestation and deforestation can lead to mudslides, which we don't think of, right? Once we uproot uh, trees that hold the earth in place, then it affects the town that's down the hill. You know, there's all these these unintended consequences of developing and, and building. Can you explain some of these unintended consequences of development where maybe we're trying to go in and help a community on the economic side, but there might be some unintended consequences on the environmental impact? If we decide that we want to help a community, quote unquote, help a community by building a road and the road is going to lead to a factory and, and a lot of countries around the world that do manufacturing, there are a lot of bumpy roads with a lot of potholes. I spent a lot of time in Uganda driving very slowly because of these potholes. And that is a common occurrence all around the world. But then all of a sudden you add a 
asphalt road and all of a sudden you have runoff and the runoff from pollution from the cars goes into the waterways and maybe the waterways is how they have their drinking water. So there's always these consequences to development. And I think it's very interesting. I was just signing up for a webinar for Euromonitor. It's a database that provides really great information. And the name of the webinar they're going to have is Deglobalization. And I go, wow, deglobalization. All right, we're we're there where we've created this this web, this system, this web of, of networks where an item is going to move all around the globe, all these different components to make one pair of jeans. And is it really worth it? Is that fuel worth moving that that grommet, that rivet, that button from one country to the next? just to make a pair of jeans that on average will be worn seven to 12 times before it is then discarded. What do we do? What do you think we can do to kind of make the globalization that we have more sustainable in a way that's, you know, a environmentally sustainable, but also, you know, trying to get the benefits to the people we want to benefit from global commerce. One aha moment that I had this summer was we were hosting a coffee tasting event and, and fair trade coffee is very important um, as a example of, of how fair trade can, can help communities and why fair trade is important in this term that fair trade coffee uses. And I'm seeing it with spices and I'm seeing it um, with wine, single origin, single origin coffee, single origin wine. And I was like, Ooh, that's a great marketing term. Single origin fashion. Can we communicate to the masses why single origin fashion is important, whether it's to cut back on fuel or as we were talking about, reduce components from coming from all different places? So can we talk about some of the bigger companies and how they're trying to address sustainability in the fashion industry? I think Walmart is is such a interesting company because you look at them being one of the partner founders of the Sustainable Apparel Coalition. And the Sustainable Apparel Coalition is this organization that is really trying to uh, collect data and provide metrics, not just for factories, which they've been doing for the past 12-ish years. Um, But now they're putting out some of that data public-facing for customers to use with their partner brands. But I often think, is that enabling their bad behavior, right? More information isn't always best. I was looking at H&M last night, and H&M is one of the first companies to now provide that data to their customers for select items through the Sustainable Apparel Coalition. And it was too much data where you could read through it and you could be like, oh, well, it's 12% this and it's 20% that. And, and, and just because they're providing that transparency, it often makes things fuzzy and you leave thinking, did they just overwhelm me with data and, and pacify me and, and placate to my, my senses of, well, it must be good because they're showing everything. They're, they're being so transparent here. But I think they're muddying the waters of what a more sustainable lifestyle or more sustainable product 
means. And I really feel for these young, sustainable advocates who are going into these roles as sustainability coordinator or sustainability auditor for these big companies. And I think, you know, they're coming in with with bright eyes thinking, I have this power, I can change this system. When at the end of the day, the sheer quantity may be the thing that just tips the scale to us thinking it's unsustainable, no matter what the materials or what the processes they use. And I hate to be that that Debbie Downer, but I think a lot of us in in the sustainability world who have been doing it for a long time are are starting to come to that conclusion and and that is a really kind of disheartening one that your efforts may not be enough just due to the quantities. Okay, I'm going to lift us up a little bit here. Um I think one thing I want to point out, I love that you brought up H&M because that's a brand that really took a strong stance with regards to forced labor within China. Um, we can get into that in detail uh, for hours, but I do want to mention that, you know, in terms of cotton sourcing, for those who, you know, haven't been following, cotton is sourced from a number of places around the world. And there's a lot of very, very difficult manual labor involved. And so it's a process that is susceptible to forced labor, you know, involuntary labor. So H&M is a great example to talk about because they really have this, I think, a public record where they did choose to make an ethical decision that hurt their bottom line uh, at the end of the day. And so let's let's get into that. I love I love um, that they're publishing their information. They're, they're making it available. And I think it's a great point that you make of well, what do I do with all that information? And, you know, I think that's something that everyone is struggling at, again, at every level, the consumer, the business, the the governments. I mean, we're all trying to figure out how we should measure environmental sustainability as well as the broader, you know, human impact. But let's talk about the environmental side. We have all sorts of multilateral and local discussions and entities and you know agencies, all these things coming up and trying to get involved in sustainability. I mean, the SEC is figuring out, well, what should our policy be on required data to report uh, from public companies? This is happening happening at every level. But one problem that I see is that it's happening at every level and it's not together. It's not collaborative to the extent that we need. And so you have all these people running in different directions with good intentions. And I think some of the outcome is what you see with with those th- that H&M data, right? You see them say, well, we don't know what we're supposed to report, what you want to know, and how to effectively communicate everything that you're interested in. So we're going to give you all our data and try to be transparent. Yeah. You know, as you're talking, I, I wrote down more is always better, right? And that is where I think so much of our culture or our consciousness comes from is more is always better. So more people involved, right? More organizations. We need more sustainable fashion. I think until H&M comes to terms with the fact that more is not always better, that going back to that unlimited growth, going back to we constantly need to have our profits increase, nothing's going to be changed because no environmental, reduced environmental impact is going to change. 
And, you know, the best thing that H&M could probably do is to say, we're going to slash our product line, right? And we're going to be okay with stores maybe being a little empty, right? Going back to maybe supply and demand and not just having such a, you know, glut of excess clothing. So I, I think it's it's so hard to have these conversations of, you know, bringing more technology in, bringing more policy in, bringing more, um, you know, standards in and ignoring the question or I think the real, the, the real solution of we need less. We need less of everything. We need less convoluted systems. We need less things made. We need less designs made. I think sometimes about how much waste is created just through a fashion company making a hundred SKUs for that month, a hundred products for not products, a hundred designs for that month and 50% of them being slashed cut from the product line. That's actually going to end up in the store because they decided that that wasn't going to sell or they were, they had too many duplicates of something that was very similar or all these startup companies, right? If, if one in three, companies actually succeed, all that waste that is created just through that startup phase. So I I hate to say, but, you know, fashion is so sexy. You've done such a good job at marketing it and branding it. And everybody loves fashion. Everybody wants to be a part of fashion and everybody wants to consume as much as they can and, and, and live that American dream. And it really concerns me how we've marketed that and pushed that to the rest of the world, but we literally can't sustain that, right? So if we think about that example you gave with H&M, would your solution be, hey, maybe you need to have clothing that is higher quality, more durable, long lasting, and increasing your pricing a bit, you know, to try to make up for that difference in your expectations of total, you know, units being sold. Do you think that there is an appetite among consumers and I guess specifically among the next generation coming up where they would be amenable to say, you know, paying more for clothing that they feel good about and trying to, you know, to your earlier point, trying to use the clothing, give it a longer life make it more, you know, um, worn out before it's being thrown out. Yeah, it's interesting looking at some a, a company like H&M that is all around this this planet. And I remember one year I was traveling uh, while I was in grad school and I went to Paris for school and I went to Hong Kong for school and I saw the same H&M clothing everywhere. And I was like, how boring. How boring that we are just becoming so homogenized that we just export these clothes all all around the world. And how many young women are are viewing these advertisements, are viewing these social media posts, and then feel this, this calling, this draw as their social activity to go to an H&M and to be able to go in there every single week, right? Every single week to buy something new that they don't have any emotional connection to. And, and I think we forget that clothing used to have a lot of emotional connection to us, right? 
We used to have our families make it. We used to have our local uh, designer or our local tailor uh, help help you know put it put it together, and we knew we were supporting that that person. And how now they're in such silos, right? Most people can't even envision maybe or don't want to envision where their clothing is made and and how it is completely uh, severed any tie to that article, that item. So since I have no emotional connection, it is very easy for me to discard it, right? To throw it away because especially I've paid such a little price for it. Um, So I think looking at the, the physical and the mental impact. And I'm talking a lot about on, on us, right? As us on a consumer, advertisements and marketing intentionally uh, promotes insecurities and, and lack of confidence. So of course, we're in one sense blaming or, um, you know, saying to the consumer, you should know better, but it's almost like victim shaming. And I'm just coming to this kind of conclusion as I'm speaking to you right now. And I'm going to have to think through this a little bit longer, but it's really interesting how we look to these companies um, to try and, you know, do their part. But in most of the time, we really are putting all of the responsibility squarely on the shoulders of the consumer. But let's look at who the consumer is. This 18 to 25 year old women who all signs are pointing for them to consume as much as possible to consume, uh, to look a certain way, to sexualize themselves, to virginize themselves, all these things that go into it. And I think uh, so much of the sustainability conversation once again, doesn't take a holistic approach, but really segments it into, all right, here's this specific set of problems. What are these specific set of solutions? Um, But I don't think we're going to get to any long-term solutions because there's always that new crop of 20-something-year-olds coming into the mix. And I think we have to really, you know, work with the brands, not just the overwhelming information that they're now putting out there, but the imaging and the subliminal messaging that they also weave into all of the things that they do. You know, I think it's it's such this this kind of juxtaposition because on the one hand, you know, especially with e-commerce, I mean, I go on my phone, not even my computer, I go on my phone and I go to a website, I click three buttons and in the next couple of days I get a fun package. That is like awesome. That feeling is like really uplifting. So much of this like, you know, retail therapy that we that we have in our culture is really strong and it's so tied to mental health. When I'm at my lows mentally, right, or emotionally, when I'm having a challenge in my life, something that really does help me and give me confidence is a new look. Yeah, and I think where we need to check ourselves is how much of our day we're we're thinking about that, right? I remember very clearly in my sustainable journey realizing that if I've had a great day or if I've had a bad day, I need to be more conscious about how I'm going to reward myself or soothe myself. 
And it can't be through consumption. As a consumer, if you are someone listening and you're like, okay, this sounds really great. I'm Maybe I'll try it soon, but I'm just not ready to cut back. Is there a material or maybe a brand that you love um, that we should be focusing on? If you're going to buy a new outfit, is there, you know, a certain material you should be looking for instead of, you know, maybe that, you know, the usual cotton outfit? Yeah. So I'm going to shout an easy answer for me. Always secondhand first, always secondhand, always swapping if you have access to that, um, just because then you can consume more and and, uh, maybe more freely and, and more cheaply if that is something that you haven't kicked that habit yet. But if you've kicked that habit and you can buy something a little bit more expensive and you can um, do some research and, and look for fibers or materials. Um, I would still say natural materials are our best. I do get, uh, some enjoyment out of doing research on finding hemp, uh, materials or hemp pieces that are meeting my aesthetic are meeting my, my, uh, ethics, meaning that maybe they're supporting a, a smaller or a local business. If you are someone who loves to swap clothing and if you're in New York City, do you know somewhere where they can go to fulfill their dreams? Well, we just happen to have built the Sustainable Fashion Community Center, which is home (laughs) to the swap shop. Thank you for that uh, setup. Yeah, it has been such an interesting experiment, I will say, over the past few months, having a swap shop and seeing how people use it and how how we do it is. You can select up to 10 items for $15. And that is cheap. That is cheap, cheap, cheap. But it brings back the fun of it, right? So you're not standing in a dressing room saying, Ooh, do I need this? Do I need that? Or can I afford this? Can I afford that? You can take all 10 items. And if you don't like it, you just bring it back, right? There's no problem there. And then hopefully it will lead people to then maybe taking an item. And tailoring it, spending that money that they would have spent in a store, tailoring it to them. And that was kind of my aha moment this summer is realizing that every single item that we see on a TV show, every single item that a celebrity wears and looks oh so good in, they tailor that. They tailor that. And I think that is such a big myth that we don't talk about is that we buy items we're like surprised or confused when they don't fit us perfectly, when we don't feel great in them. And then we quickly discard them because they're almost like lingering feelings of inadequacy or, you know, not being accepted by my own things in my closet. So I think there's something there. And then that prolongs the experience as well, right? I'm taking this item I'm getting it catered to meet my needs, meet my body, forming this relationship. And now I have this additional story about this item that I love. Okay, last question for you. Um, So in our community here, we're really trying to emphasize continuous learning, growth, both on a personal and professional level. So at this point in your career, in your life, what is one thing that you're trying to further develop or learn a new area, a new skill? Can you share one thing with us? Oh, that's a tough question. Tough question. I guess my forever uh, exercise is remaining humble in this space. 
what sustainable fashion has really taught me is that as much as I have gathered information, as much as I've grown my knowledge bank, I still don't know a lot of things or information is always changing where as soon as I feel like I figured something out, I'm constantly reminded that there is still so many moving pieces or so many lessons to be learned. So I, I hope that not just consumers, but also brands and businesses, they can, can humble themselves as well. I love that. Thank you so much, Andrea, for joining our first episode of Unlocking Impact. This has been so much fun talking with you, and we could talk for a few more hours probably, but I'll let you go about your day. Thank you so much. Okay, so I want to wrap up with a few takeaways from this conversation. You know, one thing that really spoke to me was how we do often try to solve one problem and call a product or a brand sustainable. Uh, but that we really need to shift our view and take a holistic approach. I also really enjoyed our conversation about mental health and how that is so connected to our purchases, our consumption, uh, and a real issue as we go forward in a sustainable fashion journey. And I think we all need to just check in with ourselves and make sure that we are taking care of ourselves and can find a way to, as Andrea said, you know, comfort ourselves without consumption. And the last thing I'll mention is just when you're on this sustainable journey and you're trying to find a way to support that sustainable future, you know, not to lose hope because innovations are constant and the consumer demand for sustainability is growing exponentially right now. And that is what is going to eventually drive that sustainable future. So thank you so much for joining us today on Unlocking Impact. We so appreciate your time and your support. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the show. And as always, if you have any questions or topics that you'd like us to cover, you can email me directly at sarah at unlockingimpact.com. I hope you join us next week.